Welcome to the Investing Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Kahn, and today my guest is Steve Kress, the head of quant strategy at Seeking Alpha. You can always get a full transcript of these episodes at the Investing Experts page on Seeking Alpha. Just head over to the homepage, type Investing Experts into the search box. And don't forget, if you're looking for a comprehensive look at what's going on in the markets each day, we have our Wall Street Breakfast podcast out before 7 a.m. Eastern Time and our follow-up Wall Street Lunch up at noon. You can find them at Seeking Alpha or wherever you get your podcasts. Steve, great to have you back on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always great to get your insight on the podcast. And so we've had a few questions from subscribers on Wall Street Research Reports. On the news side, we report on those regularly as they could be market moving, be it stock upgrades or broader market calls or economic predictions. But there's a lot of comments about the intentions of the analysts and how we should be looking at this flood of notes that arrive every day. You've been in the trenches on this. Could you give us a quick overview on what those firms aim for with their research? Well, that is absolutely correct. I was on Wall Street for over 30 years. I worked at some of the largest investment banks and brokerage firms, so quite a bit of history there. And there is absolutely an objective for research. And the aim of that is to generate trading commissions uh, to validate fee structures that they have. They try to promote their investment banking relationships and future deals or support past deals, support secondary trading, block trades. Uh, it is not altruistic. It's it's a business. And um, even where no deals are transpiring, uh, analysts from Wall Street tend to really... Um, have strong relationships with uh, management teams and they don't want those relationships to fall apart. They often want to have access to CEOs and CFOs. So they also like to, a really big thing for Wall Street analysts is the ability to bring top management from companies around to see their big institutional clients. And uh, they'll, you know, when they have access to top managers, they'll bring it to the, you know, their biggest and best clients. So you don't often see sell ratings coming out of Wall Street um, analysts. In fact, I think only about five to 10% of all their recommendations are sell recommendations. So most of them are, are hold recommendations or buy recommendations. Uh, a sell recommendation as an analyst will not get you access to management. So you said you've been on Wall Street, or you were on Wall Street for 30 years. So I just wanted to ask, yeah. look, going back uh, a while, has there been a change since the Dodd-Frank legislation and uh, the days of Henry Blodgett and the Amazon 400 price target? Have things changed a lot since then? Or do you feel it's kind of more just they're much more careful, but it's still kind of the same uh, goal as it were as to generate those fees? Well, there, there's definitely uh, a higher Chinese wall, and there there is a strong regulatory environment. Uh, but regardless of that, the you know Wall Street, their research is there for a reason, and uh, again, it's to promote uh, trading. It's to be able to promote the deals that come out of their investment banks, or again, it's to have access to top managers so they can have meetings or bring the management teams around to see their clients. So you can maintain a high Chinese wall. So you don't necessarily have to talk directly to your investment banking teams, but it's no accident that, um, you know, when you do do a deal on a company, there's usually extensive research that is provided. So it, it's sort of, you know, a, um, 
I guess you could say just to be expected that that research will come out. And uh, typically, you know, they, they try to do, whether it's a large deal or a small deal, you'll see research coming out of those investment banks and brokerage firms wherever they do do a deal. And that brings us to our next question, which is about a natural skepticism that people seem to have about these, um, whether the research teams are standing behind their recommendations. Uh, subscribers have specifically said they wonder if, if the trading desks at the banks are just taking the other side of the trade, if the screen of stocks they want to unload rather than what they really want to recommend. What would you say about that? I, I'd say that, you know, that potentially is, is a reason. Uh, there's no question about it. I mean, there's uh, investors, I think, in general may harbor distrust towards Wall Street firms for half a dozen reasons. There is usually, you know, a conflict of interest in those investment banking relationships. So uh, individuals can sometimes be pretty certain, you know, where there's a research recommendation on a company and the investment banking has you know done deals with it it's you know they have to be very forward about that um so you 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 know most of the times institutional clients will always know that uh individual investors you know in retail don't always know that but it's not hard to find that out so uh there there's definitely distrust towards that uh, obviously research can be used sometimes as i mentioned before to you know just generate commissions so that will raise questions uh, often, you know, there could be a lack of transparency behind a rating as well, or why a price target is moving. It's not always, you know, crystal clear as to why that's happening. So people distrust that. Uh, you could just look at the performance track record for Wall Street houses as well. The research recommendations tend to really underperform, you know, as an aggregate, the S&P 500. I think, as a matter of fact, um, we just recently did uh, a quant assessment going back to uh, October of 2020. And we found from October of 2020 to date, Wall Street strong buy ratings returned about 38.75% um, versus the S&P 500 at 45%. And we also looked at the Seeking Alpha analyst strong buy aggregate analyst ratings. Uh, the return there was 70%, so significantly over what Wall Street returned. And uh, the quant uh, return, our strong buys on the quant side returned 75%. So you're getting that Wall Street research, but that track record really is not great. Uh, so those are sort of just a handful of reasons. Another reason sometimes to be distrustful, and it's not necessarily that uh, you have to be distrustful, but research analysts will often sort of just mimic management's guidance. Um, you know, they're, they're not allowed to get, obviously, insider information. So the only thing they have to go on really is what management is saying. And, you know, often, you know, they have to move quickly when information comes out. They want to be able to show their clients and uh, their constituents that they're on top of it. So whatever management says, they'll typically just sort of repeat it and put it out in the form of a, a research alert or a research report. So uh, people will be skeptical for that as well. And uh, as I said, there's you know that bias towards positive ratings. Um, so so many of the Wall Street ratings are, are buys. So that's why you get the um, the big pylon if there's an unexpected quarter, a big big miss, for example, and everybody goes to adjust their ratings at the same time. Uh, remember CNBC? I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have just the picture of penguins all diving into the, into the sea at the same time as everybody rushed to. Yeah. 
you know, you, it's like you, you definitely see an increase in chatter around uh, when earnings results come out. And, you know, if they're in line, obviously they'll say, you know, expectations came in line. If they're stronger, they're pretty much going to just, like I said, mimic whatever management said, you know, when they're stronger. And when it's a big miss, uh, often management will say why that miss was there. Um, sometimes it's like in between those earnings periods where, you know, good analysts will try to really have some original thoughts and put their recommendations out there. Um, yeah, the, the beauty is it, like it used to be you were really beholden to Wall Street analysts because there was a lack of information on companies. Uh, it was really hard to get information. And, you know, that's why commissions used to be so high. But with the you know advent of the, the Internet and so much information being available, people can do a lot of their own research or they can just sort of like, you know, validate what's coming out of the Wall Street firms. So there are so many different uh, news sources now. And, you know, the on Seeking Alpha, the beauty is if you go to a, a stock page, we have all this crowdsourced research that comes from independent third parties. So you could check that research and what the Seeking Alpha contributors are saying versus what's coming out of Wall Street. Uh, you also have the news team, which, you know, whenever anything is coming out, the news team is on top of it, uh, whether it's company related or uh, industry related or geopolitical related. You know, the news is always there. So it's just like one page you could go to. And of course, you have the quant and the quant uh, ratings and factor grades get refreshed every single day. So you get that instant characterization of where the company stands versus its competitor. So it really just brings forward a lot of information that really hasn't been available in the past. A fun fact, actually, from my time at CNBC, they um, really originally wanted to get le footage of lemmings to represent analysts changing all their ratings all at once, but that didn't exist because it turns out that that whole thing about lemmings committing mass suicide is just an urban myth created by Disney. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, you, they definitely tend to like, you know, all shout out at the same time. And that's like around earnings periods or, you know, if there's some kind of like uh, secondary, you know, block trade that might be happening the chatter tends to go up uh, because like I said, they all want access to management, uh, whether just to maintain their own, you know, relationships or to be able to bring management around. And, you know, when news happens or there's an event, uh, all the adults are commenting at the same time. Right. Um, another thing that our subscribers ask is uh, how do they kind of sift through the jargon that they get in research notes? I know a particular one a note I wrote up um, that's some questions on what is the actual definition when something's kind of overbought or oversold. And if a lot of things that they're doing are proprietary, how can an individual investor sift through that and figure out what, what these guys are talking about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, an investor, again, like I said, we, we they could either use Seeking Alpha's stock page or there's a number of other sources. You know, typically you just to go to Google and, you know, you can put a search in for a company uh, at the time that something might be happening and a ton of information will be coming up. So when you see a research report that does have a lot of jargon in it, um, there are other sources that you can go to. And whether you go to something like the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times or Seeking Alpha, which again, crowdsources uh, a lot of contributors, you can check those Wall Street research reports against other sources now. And uh, a lot of those other sources do a far better job 
in sort of bringing forward what that jargon means. Usually, uh, Wall Street research is sort of focused on the institutional audience. And portfolio managers and professional traders are very familiar with the lingo. They don't typically write the research reports for retail or individual investors, where uh, those alternative sources do have uh, a wider breadth in terms of their audience. They do have individual investors um, and subscribers, so they have to really say what that jargon is or people wouldn't read their research notes. So it's a wonderful way to learn what that jargon is. And uh, I often recommend people who are you know, new to investing or even uh, undergrads or grad students to you know, try to read something like the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times every day. And that really gets you up to speed with a lot of the jargon that's out there. And obviously, you know, you can use Seeking Alpha's um, news source or the contributors. And if you're just looking at the, you know, trending analysis every day or trending news stories, that really, that's an incredible education in terms of getting familiar with the uh, Wall Street lingo and jargon. Moving on to a, a more macro perspective, especially when you get these calls from strategists on, um, you know, gear and targets for the S&P and things like, you know, when a, a strategist is wrong footed and, and do they just kind of move the goalposts out a bit and see if it'll pan out or is there kind of real accountability on those big calls? Well, they constantly have to move the goalposts. Like even even if they're they're correct, you know, at some point you get to that you know year end period, and it's either met your uh, projection or it's you know over your projection or under your projection. So you constantly have to you know fine tune your research and and come up with your uh, new projections. You know, more often than not, they miss whether they're economists or strategists. Uh, they're only right a handful of time. But the real interesting thing is like you you worked at CNBC. There's Bloomberg, uh, there's strategists that you know work at Morgan Stanley, at Goldman Sachs, at Merrill Lynch. And people just have a real tendency to want to listen to strategists and economists because the thought is that it clears up some of that uncertainty that's out there in the future. And the strategists, it's like they're looking to a crystal ball and people are, are drawn into that. And uh, I think I may have mentioned to you before, if I had one superpower, it would be really to ignore you know, a lot of strategists and economists, you know, especially during periods of crisis when there's a lot of uncertainty and just sort of, you know, stay disciplined in your approach, uh, whether they're saying it's going to be a big bull market or we're expecting a huge correction. Just do your best to ignore it and try to have a discipline and invest like monthly or quarterly, because, you know, when we have those big pullbacks, uh, if you look back, that's where you really make most of your money. It's, you know, it takes a lot of courage to buy on a pullback. But if you kind of ignore um, the fact, the fear factor, and you just take it sort of as a disciplined approach to investing, obviously the, the game is sort of buying low and selling high. And it's during those pullbacks where people can have, you know, the biggest bang for their bucks. So I often tell people try to ignore to, you know, the greatest extent possible what the strategists and economists are saying and, and stay disciplined. So bringing this back to something you touched on before about um, you know, doing your own homework. If we look at these calls as just a starting point for a, an, an idea, um, how could quant rating help the individual investor move from those, take an idea and really dig into it and see if it's something that they want to make a move into their portfolio? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, you know, an excellent like validator for what uh, professional Wall Street analysts might be saying, because quant is it's a data driven process. And when we incorporate our our into our models, uh, we take historical financial information and we do take forward information. We take Wall Street consensus uh, estimates for for revenues and growth and EBITDA. And we sort of bring it all in uh, and it gets refreshed every single day. So whenever you're looking at uh, the value grades or the growth grades or the profitability grades or our EPS revision grades, you know that it's a fresh uh, opinion and a fresh directional recommendation. So if an analyst is coming forward and saying, you know, we think this uh, stock is incredibly undervalued and they might mention like a PE ratio or a price to book ratio, if you use the quant um, system, you could see those grades. And again, it provides an instant characterization. So if you're looking at PE, it will tell you where compares versus the rest of the sector. If you're looking at revenue growth or earnings per share growth that the analyst might be talking about, you're looking at that grade and it shows you instantly where it is versus the re- to the sector. So it's that relative uh, factor that quant gives you that really shows you the strength or weakness of a company compared to the sector median. And a lot of times analysts won't do that. Um, so they might provide sort of an absolute view, but it's it's really relative. And it's also sometimes relative to a company's own history. And when you go to our financial pages, if you look at uh, the value or the growth or the profitability pages that the quant has set up, we're showing you the absolute data points. We're showing you the sector data points, but we're also showing you like the five-year history for a company. Um, so whether you're looking at revenue growth or PE or return on equity, you could see what the five-year average is for that metric as well. So you can compare the current uh, metric versus the five-year average, or of course, you know the grades show it relative to uh, the sector. And that really can hold uh, analysts accountable. And you know if you see something where somebody's saying something looks really cheap, you could look at those grades and say, you know, it doesn't look cheap here. And again, it's a data-driven process. Uh, you know, we have no acts in this. We're not generating commissions and we don't have deals. So we're just showing the numbers as they are. Excellent example. Um, I have one last question for you, a uh, kind of a little fun sure, one. Yeah. What is your least favorite Wall Street cliche? Uh, I'll start. Uh, mine is climbing a wall of worry. Just irks me for some reason. <laughs> Do you have one? I can't say that there's a cliche that I have, but I did mention this uh, earlier. I wish I had a superpower myself. Uh, it's amazing having been in the industry, you know, for so long. I still listen to strategists. And I still listen to economists, and I still get really caught up. You like, you know, the market's like doing a tailspin, and sometimes I got to check myself. And uh, like I said, I wish I had that superpower, and I wish I could give that superpower to other people. Is just like, you know, ignore what's going on. Uh, in terms of what the strategists and economists are saying, and just stay disciplined. And, you know, that's how real wealth creation uh, is formed. Great advice. Check yourself, stay disciplined, and check out Quant Ratings, of course, at Seeking Alpha. Steve, thanks so much for joining us again. It was great. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Investing Experts podcast. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. At times, myself or my guest may own positions in the securities mentioned. 
For full access to transcripts, as well as analyst ratings, stock quant scores, and dividend grades, subscribe to Seeking Alpha Premium at seekingalpha.com slash subscriptions.